Bibles this morning to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we'll be looking at verses 11 through 16. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and by craftiness and deceitful scheming but speaking truth in love we are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head even Christ from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Can't even begin to tell you how difficult it was to pick a passage of scripture for my final message because there are so many incredible passages in the Bible. And I don't know about you, but for me, it seems like whatever book I'm studying through, that's my favorite book of the Bible. You know, and I'm studying through Isaiah, and I go, yeah, that's my favorite book. And then I'm studying through Daniel, I go, no, 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 Daniel's my favorite book in the Bible. And then I'm in Matthew, and go, now I know for certain my favorite book is Matthew. There's just so many incredible passages of Scripture, but my mind kept going back to this passage, and it seemed like my heart just kept being drawn to this passage. And uh, what we're going to be talking about uh, these last two weeks, uh, I know you've heard me talk about many times before, but... I feel like the Apostle Peter, who said in 2 Peter chapter 2, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them. And I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder, so that after my departure, you may be able to recall these things to mind. So he didn't apologize for repeating himself and teaching the same thing over and over again. There were certain things he wanted to hammer home so that after his departure, he knew his departure was near. After he was gone, no matter what the situation was, they would be able to say, remember what Peter kept telling us over and over again. And that's kind of what we're going to be doing in this passage of Scripture. Because... There are just certain things we need to be stirred up about once in a while. Even though we already know them, once in a while we need to be stirred up by way of reminder. And so the Apostle Paul says, God has given us apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. And we know what the apostles and prophets were. And we know what the evangelists are. 
Evangelists speak to people who are lost, people that are not saved, people who don't know the Lord, people that are separated from God by their sins. They're in danger of being eternally separated from God. The evangelist speaks the gospel, presents God's plan of salvation to the lost. But the pastors and teachers are speaking to who? To the saints. Pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, which means the believers. The pastor-teacher message is for the believers to the building up of the body of Christ so that believers can grow, can come to maturity, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That's the goal, our spiritual goal, which should be above all of our materialistic goals, is to fulfill the purpose of God, uh, to be conformed to the image of his son, to become partakers of the divine nature, to becoming more and more Christ-like. And so the, the, the role of the pastors and teachers are to feed the sheep. The, the sheep are continually learning and growing toward maturity. Uh, in Pastor Chuck's early years of ministry, he had been told that he was to always preach an evangelistic message on Sunday morning because even if there's only one unsaved person there, it's worth it. Just preach a powerful salvation message. And if there's one person that doesn't know the Lord and they come to the Lord, then it's worth it. And so that's what he would do. Week in and week out, he would be speaking to his congregation of 50 to 60 people who were saved, how to be saved. <laughs> and he was starting to get frustrated because he was putting a lot of time into preparing these powerful salvation messages to people that were already saved and who knew everything that he was telling them. And so he started to rebuke his congregation for not bringing unsaved friends and family to the church so that they could hear his powerful salvation messages. He was starting to beat the sheet a little bit until he came to this passage of scripture and Hebrews chapter six, where it says, let us leave the elementary teachings of Christ and press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, of faith in God, of laying on of hands and washings and resurrection from the dead and eternal judgment. In other words, you know, let's get the fundamental doctrines of Christianity down, but then let's not stay there. Let's just move on. Let's go deeper into God's word. Let's get to go know God better. Let's get to know his mind, his thoughts about everything, his heart, his nature, his will, and purpose for their lives. And, and that's when Chuck realized, you know, he needs to press on. Not just going over and over again the fundamentals, and then he came to this passage of scripture, pastors and teachers are for the equipping of the saints. He's not supposed to be speaking to the unsaved on Sunday mornings. Evangelism is a byproduct of what happens on Sunday mornings. But the Sunday morning service is for the believer to grow deep and strong and mature and more capable of sharing their faith, more capable of answering people's questions about God and about the Bible. And so he radically changed his philosophy of ministry. He said, I'm just going to teach my people the Bible. I don't care if we have 50, 60 people 
throughout my entire ministry, they're going to be the most biblically literate people in the whole world. They're going to know the Word of God. And he started taking them through the Bible, book by book, and chapter by chapter, and the rest is history. There was an evangelistic explosion, and a great revival came called the Jesus Movement. Because he came to understand evangelism is the byproduct of what happens in the church service. If the believers are being fed, healthy sheep multiply. That's just what healthy sheep do. They multiply. And so what I want to leave with you and what I want you to be able to recall to mind after I'm gone is the Calvary Chapel philosophy of ministry. You're just going through the Bible, learning, growing in our knowledge and understanding because that's the only way we can grow and mature spiritually to a mature man, to the measure of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ. So how do we accomplish maturity? What's the process that brings us to Christ-likeness in our lives? Well, verse 15 says, speaking truth in love. Speaking truth in love, we do what? We grow up. We grow up into all as- in all aspects unto him. Have you ever seen an adult acting like a child? like a little two-year-old throwing a tantrum because they're not getting their way. And what, do you, what would you like to say to them? You'd like to say, you need to grow up. And I think God looks at believers who have known the Lord for many years, and they're just acting like children in their selfishness and their carnality. And he, he knows they need to grow up. And here's how it happens. Speaking truth in love. So this morning is truth. Next Sunday is love. But first of all, notice the two have to go together. It's not truth or love. That doesn't get us to maturity in Christ. You could tell someone the truth, but without love, all you're doing is slicing them up with a sharp two-edged sword, which is the word of God. And you're doing more harm than good. But love without truth doesn't work either. You can be so gentle and kind and gracious and compassionate. You can love people all the way to hell if you don't tell them the truth about how to be saved, how to go to heaven. It's like water. We need water to live, to survive. But water is H2O. It's two atoms of hydrogen, one atom of oxygen. Now, if somebody's dying of thirst, you're not going to offer them two atoms of hydrogen. That's not water. That doesn't do them any good. Nor are you going to offer them one atom of oxygen, not water. Doesn't do them any good. It's only life-saving water if it's H2O, if it's the combination. And it's the life-giving Spirit of God working in people's lives when we're speaking truth in love. You can't speak truth if you don't know truth. But that's the key to growing spiritually. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. That's the process of getting free from every fleshly hang-up, from every form of bondage, every addiction, so we can become more and more like Christ. It's all about the truth. The truth will set you free. But what is truth? 
Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17, verses 15 through 17, Father, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. I am not of the, of the world, even as they are not of the world. Father, sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth. We're going to be set free. We're going to be sanctified by the power of the truth of God's word. Sanctified means set apart. We're going to be set apart from those who are corrupt, those who are perverse and impure. Set apart for purity and holiness and godliness through the truth that sets us free. But what is the truth? Thy word is truth. So the growing up and maturing process of, of Christians has to do with abiding in God's word. You've heard me say it a thousand times. This will be a thousand and one. <laughs> May we always be stirred up by way of reminder. There is no spiritual growth and maturity unless we are abiding in the word of God and the word of God is abiding in us. And this is so vital that God has given us some incredible incentives to motivate us to continually abide in his word and let his word abide in us. Um, I, I almost use the word bribery, but I don't like to use that word in connection with God because it usually has a negative connotation. You know, you bribe a judge or you bribe a cop and it's in connection with corruption. But bribery can accomplish good things too. I, I remember when my, my son was young and uh, he told me, uh, Dad, I don't want to play Little League this year. We were on our way to you know, sign up for, for Little League. I, I, it shocked me. You don't want to play baseball? But you're so good at it. Usually you love something that you're good at. And he was amazing. Out of 200 kids in the Little League, he was usually the first draft pick every year. How could you not want to play? But my mind flashed back to the previous year, and I remember this one instance where he struck out, and he almost never struck out. So I make my way over to the dugout to talk to him through the chain link fence about that at bat. When I walked away, I just happened to glance back, and he was holding his head in his hands like this. And I knew why. His dad was driving him nuts. And I never yelled at him, like some guys do, you know, with their kids. But I was taking it way too seriously. He just wanted to have fun, and it wasn't fun anymore because of dad, and he didn't want to play this year. So I thought, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? i got to let him, he's got to give me another chance. So I said, hey, bud, remember that Lakers jersey you've been wanting? I'll buy you that if you sign up and play baseball. He goes, you would do that? I go, yeah, I'll buy it for you. And he goes, okay. But he said, Dad, why is it so important that I play baseball? And I said, because, bud, I think I ruined it for you. I think it's my fault, and I need you to give me another chance to make it up to you. And he did, and I did. And from then on, the rest of his years of playing sports was just fun. He didn't take it too seriously, which was a good thing. He just wanted to have a blast. That's the type of thing that God does to motivate us to be continually in his word. You shall know the truth. The truth shall set you free. Sanctify them by truth. Thy word is truth. He's got to incentivize us. Maybe not bribe us, but incentivize us to continually abide in his word. How does he do that? We'll go to Psalm 1, and we'll put it up on the screen. Verse 1, how blessed, 
How happy is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. How blessed. That's, that's also translated happy because the true happiness everybody is looking for comes when we are being blessed by God, when our lives are being richly blessed by God. So the godly man who's being blessed by God doesn't do certain things. For example, he doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Don't get counsel from the ungodly. Don't get advice from people who don't know the Lord and don't know scriptural principles for life. They'll give you some advice that sounds right and you'll do it and you'll make a bigger mess out of everything what you've already got. You need to take him for every penny. You need to hurt him worse than he's hurt you. You need to use this opportunity to destroy him. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> but if you do that, it's not God's way, and you won't be blessed in what you're doing. So don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Go to those who know the Lord and who know the Scriptures give you godly counsel. And don't walk or don't stand in the path of sinners. Don't be standing there on the corner, on the sidewalk, chopping it up with unbelievers, ungodly, unless you're sharing the gospel with them, witnessing to them. But don't make that your social life because you're going to end up thinking the way they think. You're going to end up talking the way they talk. And then you're going to end up doing the things that they do. Bad company corrupts good morals. It just does. What partnership has righteousness and lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? What harmony has Christ with Belial? What does a believer in, have in common with an unbeliever? Come out from their midst. Be separate. Do not touch what is unclean. And I'll welcome you and I'll be a father to you and you will be sons and daughters to me. Don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Don't stand in the path of sinners and don't sit in the seat of scoffers. Don't be sitting there in the bar hanging out with those who mock Christ and who make fun of Christians because it won't be long before you'll be too embarrassed to call yourself a Christian and you won't want to identify with Christ in this world any longer. The godly man who is richly blessed finds the true happiness that everyone is looking for, doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, doesn't stand in the path of sinners, doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. What does he do? Verses 2 and 3. He delights in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He delights in the law of the Lord. I fell in love with the Bible many years ago. It's the best thing that ever happened to me. That's, that will be my prayer for you guys. If it hasn't already happened to you, that will be my prayer for you in the months to come that you will fall in love with the Bible and you will delight yourself in the Word of God more than anything else. The way some people delight themselves in surfing or golfing or fishing or whatever it is, and we can still enjoy those kind of things, but that we would get to the point where we don't love or delight in anything more than we delight in the Lord and in His Word. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. How's that for an incentive? He will give you the desires of your heart. I love the word of God. It's not a job. 
It's not an unpleasant duty. Oh, I suppose I should read my Bible today, read a few verses, get it over with. But enjoying, so enjoying the insights and the revelations and the understanding that the Holy Spirit gives as you're reading and meditating on God's word. Best thing will ever happen to any of us is if we delight in God's word more than we delight in anything this world has to offer. But if we're delighting in, this, in, in the word of God, it means that we're meditating in the word of God. He delights in the law of the Lord and in his law, he meditates day and night. And day and night doesn't mean once in the morning and once at night. It means all day long and all night long. <laughs> you know, if you're tossing and turning and you can't sleep uh, during the night, then you use that time to meditate on the Lord. You'll be amazed at the things he'll speak to you and reveal to you in the quiet hours of the night, but also throughout the day. The word for meditation in Hebrew is hagah, and it means to mutter or to mumble. And, and the reason was is because sometimes you're trying to meditate, but your mind keeps wandering. You know how that happens? Your mind keeps wandering. All of a sudden, you're thinking about something totally different. You go, oh, sorry, Lord, how do I, you know, how do I get back? So one of the ways of preventing that is to softly verbalize your thought process process as you're meditating. Meditating is not reading. Reading comes first, then meditating. Okay, what I read, what does it mean? How do I apply that to my life? How would I go about trying to explain this passage of scripture to someone? And, and we're meditating on it, and we don't want our mind to wander, so we verbalize our thoughts softly, quietly, like a, like a whisper, muttering, or mumbling. Now, it's kind of embarrassing sometimes, you're walking around muttering, you know, but it's a cool thing if somebody asks you, what are you mumbling about? Well, you can tell them what you're mumbling about and you can share scripture with them. One of the ways the Hebrews explained meditation was they used the illustration of a cow chewing its cud. Now, cows have several stomachs, so they can chew on their cud, chew on their food source for a while and then swallow it, it goes down into one of their stomachs, but they have the ability later on to regurgitate that, sounds gross, but they do, and chew on it some more. And they can do it over and over again until they get every ounce of nutrition from that food source. And, and the, the Hebrew, the Jewish people would say, that's it. That's what meditation is. So what you read and you began to meditate on in the morning, later on in the day, maybe your lunch break, maybe you're driving home, you bring it back up and you chew on it some more and you think through it some more. Listen, the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. The mind set on the flesh is death. The mind is the hard drive. The thought life is the, the software. The computer can't do anything that it's not programmed to do. Our thought life is programming us for failure or for success, for defeat or for victory. The minds, and what better way to set your mind on the things of the Spirit than just be meditating on the Word of God? Just whenever your mind is free, just be, bring it back up. One of the ways I used to always do this would be a, a scripture that I really loved. i say, I, I want to know this. I want to memorize this. And I'd be driving along just practicing saying it to myself. That also is a form of meditation. What is the incentive God gives to his people to live their lives this way? 
delighting in the word of the Lord so much that we're meditating on his word day and night. Well, here's the incentive. Verse 3. Did we have that verse up? We did. Okay, let's get 2 and 3 back up there. Okay. You'd be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season. That tree, planted by a stream, has a continual water source. It's going to bear beautiful, luscious fruit in its season. What's spiritual fruit? What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love. You become the most loving person in the world. Joy. You become the most joyful person in the world. Peace. You won't have to live your life tormented by fears and anxieties. Peace of God. You, you become the most patient person in the world. Gentle, faithful. Self-control is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Now, what quality of life can I have if I have no self-control? If I can't control my anger and my temper? If I can't control the lusts of the flesh? If I can't control my selfish, greedy desires? What kind of a life will I have? But I don't have to produce self-control. The Holy Spirit will produce that for me as I'm abiding in His Word. I'll be like that tree, producing beautiful, luscious, spiritual fruit. And what else? Whatever he does, he prospers. How's that for an incentive? Whatever you do, whatever you put your hand to do, God will place his hand a blessing upon it. Whatever is important to you, whatever you're seeking to accomplish, you're working hard, you're disciplined, you're sacrificing to accomplish something, God says you'll be successful. I'll make sure that you're successful in accomplishing those things. Do you know anybody that doesn't want to be successful and they're working so hard to accomplish? Do you want success? Do you want to prosper? No, I think I prefer failure. I'm going to work really hard toward this, but I hope I fail. Everybody wants to succeed in that which they're working hard to accomplish. God says, I'll bless it. Everything you do, you will prosper. And yet believers do not take God up on his promise. They never find out what he would have done, how he would have blessed and prospered. Because they don't want to do this. They don't want to live their life this way, meditating on God's word day and night. Other things are just too important. Other things take priority in the life of the believer and they're not growing and they're not maturing. Well, I want to find a wife. Well, I want to find a husband. And so instead of spending a little time meditating in the Word, they're online on the dating sites, you know, going from one dating site to another to, to find somebody. Now, I'm not down on you know, dating sites. I've known some couples that met online and they found somebody who loves the Lord like they do and they're married and they're serving the Lord together and they're very happy. I'm not, I'm not down on that. I'm just saying when that takes priority and takes the place of meditating on God's word. What was Isaac doing when God brought his wife to him? He went out into the field, Genesis 24, he went out in the field to meditate. And lo and behold, he saw camels coming. And on one of those camels was Rebekah. God was bringing his wife to him. And the scripture says she was very beautiful. 
and he loved her exceedingly. <laughs> he was walking around shaking his head. Man, God, you must love me very much to give me her. Wow. But what did it say? He went out to the singles bar to try to meet somebody? No. No, he just went out on the field to meditate. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. It was the same with David. David was a nobody. He was a little shepherd boy. But man, did he have a heart for God. And he loved to meditate on God and on his word. His favorite thing was to go up on the rooftop and write love songs to God. That's why we have the book of Psalms. That's what he loved to do, meditating on, on the Lord and singing songs to the Lord about all the wonderful qualities of the divine nature. And, and so God prospered him in everything that he did and eventually he had, he had power and he had honor and he had wealth and he became the king over Israel. But you know what David wrote in Psalm 63, verse 6? When I remember thee upon my bed, I meditate on thee in the night watches. See, that was his heart and that's what God was blessing and prospering. I meditate on thee in the night watches. What do a lot of believers do when they can't sleep? We finally give up, we get up, we flip on the TV and we start channel surfing until we find something to watch on TV, which at best is not edifying and sometimes is something we shouldn't be watching at all. Not David. I meditate on the in the the night watches. And so he he instructs believers in Psalm 4, verse 4, tremble and do not sin. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. That's the secret to godliness. And having the rich full blessing of God, growing and maturing spiritually until we're the happiest people in the world. What father doesn't want his children to be happy? Our Heavenly Father wants his children to be the happiest people on the face of the earth. Do you want to grow? Do you want to be blessed? Do you want to have success? Do you want to prosper the way God prospered David? We need to have a heart after God like David did. If we can pray the prayer of David and really mean it, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to Thee, my rock and my redeemer. If we have that heart that David had and pray that prayer sincerely, God will answer that prayer. And the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart will be pleasing to Him and acceptable to Him and we will grow and mature and become more and more like Christ and be more blessed than we could ever imagine because God loves to do exceeding abundantly beyond what we could ask or think. So you become this person who meditates day and night on God's word. Whatever you're asking for, he doesn't give you. Whatever you're asking for, he gives you more. (laughs) Exceeding abundantly beyond whatever it is you're asking for, that is a blessed life. And that is an exciting Christian life. Do you know the longest chapter in the Bible is Psalm 119? Longest chapter in the Bible, 176 verses. Every single verse is about the Word of God, the importance of the Word of God, the power of the Word of God. Do you think God's trying to tell us something? The longest chapter in the Bible, all 176 verses are about the Word of God. And verse 97 says, Oh, how I love thy law. 
It is my meditation all the day. That's the key. That's the secret. That's what I want you guys to remember and call to mind at any time after my departure. Remember how Brad used to harp on this and pound this home? How blessed we will be when we can honestly say, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Joshua had a great task in front of him. He had to lead the armies of Israel into the land of Canaan to possess the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey where they would have an abundance. They had to tear down the strongholds of the Canaanites, defeat them, and drive them out. It's just exactly the same with us because even though we're believers, the enemy still has certain strongholds in our heart and in our life. And we have to follow our Joshua, our Jesus, into battle. And we're not gonna have the abundant life in Christ until we tear down those strongholds and drive the enemy out. But what did God say to Joshua? Do not let this book depart from your mouth. Interesting, he didn't say, do not let this book depart from your mind or your heart because the Hebrew form of meditation has to do with mumbling and muttering the word of God. Don't let the book of the law depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Then you will have good success. Then you will make your way prosperous. And if we will do that, we will get victory after victory after victory over the flesh and the world and the evil one until we are enjoying the rich, full blessings of God in our lives. Jesus said, when he's talking about the branch abiding in the vine, you know, the, the vine will bring every, all the moisture and nutrients the branch needs to bear fruit. The branch just has to be abiding. Well, what does that even mean, it's to be connected to the, to the vine? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. Talk about an incentive. That's a pretty exciting Christian life. Just seeing one answered prayer after another after another. Seeing God working through your prayers continually. Ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you if you abide in me and my words abide in you. And then he said, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Wow. Fullness of joy in the Christian life. And there are so many believers who don't have that. And they're plagued and tormented with fears and worries. And they get down and discouraged so easily. What's missing? Speaking truth in love. Sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth. Be the people, be the people who meditate day and night on God's word and see what great and mighty and awesome and wonderful things he will do in your life. That is what I would love for you to be able to call to mind at any time after my departure. Let's pray.